1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And we'll also visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. It is January the 12th. And on this day in 2010, Haiti was devastated by a massive earthquake. It drew an outpouring of support from around the globe, but the small nation is yet to fully recover. Haiti's taken a history of seismic activity. Devastating earthquakes were recorded there in 1751, 1770, 1842, and 1946. The island of Hispaniola, which Haiti shares with the Dominican Republic, lies mostly between two large tectonic plates, The North American and the Caribbean, the Haitian capital of Port-au-Prince, practically straddles this fault line. Despite this knowledge and warnings from seismologists that another earthquake was likely in the near future, the country's poverty meant that infrastructure and emergency services were not prepared to handle the effects of a natural disaster. The 2010 quake Uh, struck just before 5 p.m. The tremor was felt as far away as Cuba and Venezuela, but the epicenter of the 7.0 magnitude quake was just 16 miles away from Port-au-Prince. Eight aftershocks followed the same day, and at least 52 were recorded over the next two weeks. The effects were catastrophic. All of the capital's hospitals, as well as three facilities run by Doctors Without Borders, sustained serious damage, as did Port-au-Prince's airport and its seaport, which were rendered inoperable. Telecom services were greatly affected. Major roads were rendered impassable. And uh, close to 300,000 buildings, most of which were residences, were damaged beyond repair. The National Assembly Building and the Port-au-Prince Cathedral were also destroyed. The human toll was horrific and remains incalculable. Some estimates put the number of deaths around 40 to 50,000, while the Haitian government estimated over 316,000 died. But all authorities acknowledged that death toll is impossible to truly count. Something approaching a million people were displaced. News and images of the quake, including photos of the heavily damaged uh, National Palace, quickly activated a massive humanitarian response. The Dominican Republic and Dominican Red Cross uh, responded immediately with emergency supplies and airlifted to Dominican hospitals. Nations from every continent contributed money, supplies, and manpower. Port-au-Prince's airport operated around the clock but could not accommodate all the arrivals. Foreign air forces, including those of the United States and Great Britain, airlifted survivors to hospital ships off the coast, and some supplies were dropped to the island by parachute. The Hope for Haiti telethon on January 22 broke records by raising $58 million in one day. Though humanitarian response was immediate and overwhelming, Haiti's crippling infrastructure made the delivery of aid difficult. The situation was still classified as an emergency six months after the earthquake. A million people on the island lived in tents and cholera epidemic that began in October claimed over 3,300 more lives. Whether or not Haiti has yet fully recovered is a matter of debate, but the effects of the earthquake were palpable for the next decade. Poor Haiti. You take a look at a map of uh, Dominican Republic, of Hispaniola, the island. Dominican Republic is a thriving economy. Haiti, not so much. It's just uh, their rule of law, the uh, corruption in the government, uh, the lack of uh, standing for uh, property rights. Just so many things really affect how this whole island has developed. It's just a really amazing uh, contrast between Dominican Republic and Haiti. Yesterday morning, all flights were grounded because of the computer glitch. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre tweeted, There is no evidence of a cyber attack at this point, but the president does not uh, uh, direct the DOT to conduct a full investigation into the causes. The FAA will provide regular updates. I saw this from social media. It's worth mentioning. A few days ago, the World Economic Forum warned of a global cyber attack, and we've had all flights grounded in the United States this morning because of the technical issue, and now we have the Royal Mail suffering a massive cyber attack. Yesterday, the Danish Danish central bank was hit with hackers. No coincidence. I expect more coming, uh, wrote this entry into the social media. So don't know if we're really uh, attacked, if this is a cyber attack or not, but I know Pete Buttigieg will get to the bottom of it. Well, we hope he does. Republican Representative Byron Donalds, our own Byron Donalds, our representative here on the Paradise Coast, on Tuesday responded to claims that he is a diversity pick for the GOP, slamming left-wing commentator Joy Reid on her own MSNBC program for racially charged insults. The reality is, is a lot of members actually do believe in my ability to lead. They do. I am to be despised for my youth because I'm served on one term. The Florida Republican fired back, my members know that I have the ability to engage other members to the conference, but it's even bigger than that, he said. So proud of Byron Donalds for putting up this uh, race baiter, Joy Reid, into her place. And last night on Tucker Carlson's show, Erica Donalds, uh, uh, Byron's uh, wife and Byron, both were on the uh, Tucker Carlson show. She just did a great job. So enthusiastic and such a a contrast to the race baiter, uh, Joy Reid. Well, the Department of Health and Human Services on Wednesday officially renewed the ongoing public health emergency for the COVID-19 pandemic amid concerns over more transmissible, viral mutation, and broad pandemic fatigue. The announcement by HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra marks the 12th renewal of the COVID-19 public health emergency, which was first declared by former HHS Secretary Alex Azar in January of 2020. Each public health emergency declaration lasts for 90 days before expiring or getting renewed. So this makes no sense at all to renew this. uh, But it simply keeps power in in the president's administration. And it's exactly what it does. And, of course, it protects... Uh, the big pharma, and the uh, vaccine uh, makers as well. Vaccine advisors to the federal government are reportedly angry and disappointed that Moderna's booster shot uh, data was not presented to them for review last year. The report claims the data suggested the possibility that the updated booster might not be any more effective at preventing COVID-19 infections than the original shots. I was angry to find this out that there was data that was relevant to our decision and we didn't get to see it, said Paul Offit, medical doctor, a member of the Vaccines Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. The committee is a group of external uh, advisors that helps the FDA make vaccine decisions. Decisions that are made for the public have to be based on all available information, he said, not just some information, but all information. Recently, the Florida Supreme Court granted Governor Ron DeSantis' request to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate mRNA vaccine manufacturers. DeSantis uh, announced earlier in December his petition for a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to the COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers. It's against the law to mislead and to misrepresent, particularly when you're talking about the efficacy of a drug, DeSantis said. The statewide grand jury will be allowed to investigate groups involved in the design, development, clinical testing, marketing, and distribution of vaccines uh, said to prevent COVID-19 infection, symptoms, and transmission. It will be impaneled for one year. DeSantis uh, peti- uh, petition argued there was a widespread belief that the COVID-19 vaccine prevented the disease from spreading, which led to vaccine mandates on citizens, healthcare workers, and military members. It is impossible to imagine that so many influential individuals came to this review on their own. Rather, it's like that individuals and companies with incentive to do so created these perceptions for financial gain, the petition said. The petition specifically pointed out Moderna and Pfizer's claims about preventing COVID disease with 94.1% efficacy and 91.3% vaccine efficacy. Earlier in December, DeSantis also announced that a public health integrity committee will be established. The board will advise the public and provide oversight moving forward on the public health establishment. Uh, Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo has previously spoken out against the mRNA va- COVID 19 vaccine, saying they are far less safe than other vaccines based on an autopsy based clinical research in cardiology. In October, Lapado announced a new mRNA COVID-19 vaccine guidance, advising males aged 18 to 39 years of old from taking those vaccines due to reported 84% increase in the relative incidence of heart-related deaths. Ladapo also warned about the risks of vaccinating healthy children with no underlying conditions. The Surgeon General questioned the CDC on Twitter. Certainly appropriate that he does. Uh, I would prefer to look uh, for advice from uh, the Florida's attorney general, uh, surgeon general, I should say, rather than the CDC. It's <laughs> CDC's kind of spent whatever uh, integrity they had. It would be very hard to build back uh, trust from the CDC. And by the way, a former fitness instructor with NCH Healthcare System has filed a lawsuit against the hospital for failing to give her an exemption for its COVID-19 mask mandate based on her religious beliefs. Several former employees of Walt Disney World and Orlando have filed similar lawsuits. I just hope that they cite the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits employment discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin, In an email, NCH spokesperson Sean McConnell said NCH admitted that the EEOC issued Ms. Frank a right-to-sue letter in August of 2022. I hope they win. I hope they uh, actually win these lawsuits. I hope it creates an environment where employers are uh, hesitant to uh, violate the rights of individual workers, should be uh, their health concerns, and should be all about Uh, making their own decisions and not having an employer make those decisions for them. And by the way, Alex Berenson, Berenson, researchers in Taiwan have uh, added to the increasingly negative picture of the impact of mRNA COVID vaccines have on the hearts of young men. The researchers conducted electrocardiograms which measured the heart rhythm of 4,928 high schoolers in Taipei City, the capital of Taiwan. Before and after their Pfizer shot, over 90% of the students were male. They found 51 students had significant changes in their EKECGs, I should say, after the second Pfizer jab. One of those was diagnosed with myocarditis, and four more had significant heart rhythm disturbances. Those included a student with premature ventricular contraction, which can raise the risk of sudden cardiac death. The arrhythmia-trigger uh, effect of the Pfizer vaccine needs further study to elucidate the side of So more and more evidence piling up that uh, our young people are at risk with these vaccines. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. at and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8am until 2pm, 7 days a week Lulabees Diner, in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads, stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, most health insurance plans don't cover international travel. You can travel with confidence with international health insurance for as little as $1.25 a day. Make travel worry-free. Visit the website, internationalhealthplans.com, internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, founder and president of Less Government. Now we have with us uh, Pastor Rick Stevens, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Always a pleasure, Bob, thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure, Pastor Rick. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance.
4: Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is a grassroots group. We work with people all across the state to try to bring solutions to the problems people discover in our K-12 through education system. We try to help parents, and we try to help teachers, and yes, we even work in Tallahassee with the legislature to try to be the voice of the parents and the grandparents, the aunts and uncles that care about kids and try to bring about good ideas and good solutions to the problems they run into every day.
1: Just been massively effective over the past decade. Again, the Florida Citizens Alliance, the website is goflca.com, goflca.com. I hope you check it out. So, Pastor Rick, I mean, we're right now heading into the legislative season, and quite frankly, it's almost too late to come up with new ideas to improve education because they're hard at it and trying to negotiate and set, uh, set the agenda what's happening in the area of education?
4: Well, you're right. It is almost too late because they are making decisions this week and next. The committee week was last week. The next committee week is next week. And important meetings are going on between the leaders in the house in particular and the speaker's office. And that's where they make decisions on what are the big things, important things that they want to see happen. And so one of the things that that we heard about last year before the session got uh, on too many people's radar it was on a lot of our radar then because we know how soon these decisions get made but we were talking with one influential member of the house and number one on our legislative agenda is for the state to authorize universal education savings account for florida students in grades k through 12. we think educational savings account are the, the best vehicle to give parents the most choices and the best choices for their kids and so we were talking to this gentleman And he was looking at our legislative agenda. And he said, yeah, this number one, this education savings account, this should be number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And he went on down through the list. He said, that is the thing that we should be focusing on. And it was one of our big clues that the legislature really is working on. And we have had it confirmed in a number of ways. Great. That from the governor's office all the way through, education savings accounts are going to happen.
1: So help us understand, uh, then, uh, if in fact this legislation is passed, what the impact might be for uh, parents and students in public education.
4: Well, the impact is, is enormous because instead of funding systems, which is what we do now, we send money to school systems, we would be funding students. And the students and their parents would then have a certain amount of dollars. We don't know what the amount is. We haven't heard them talk about that yet but a certain amount of dollars that they would be able then to spend to purchase their students' education. So if they want to go to an online school, they could sign up for that, and the state of Florida's education savings account for their student would, would pay for that. If they want to go to a private school down the street, they can go to that private school, and the education savings account would pay for that. There are just enormous. Uh, if, they go, if they homeschool, we want the education savings account to help homeschool families. And we think that's just the way to give parents the best choice. They can go to a public school. They can go to a private school. They can go to their own their own uh, living room or dining room table and uh, do school at home. We think it's a great vehicle for parents to have the choices to get their students the education that suits them best. We can't, we can't find an education system that one size fits all and this would help parents make those good decisions.
1: Certainly would. Now, aren't there, are not there barriers at all to in this thinking in terms of, like, you have to uh, be uh, financially needy, or, or, or are there some sort of conditions upon which you could qualify to make these decisions?
4: Well, it's interesting. Every time you come up with a good idea, and we learned this a few years ago, every time you come up with a good idea, no matter how good the idea seems, there's always some barrier or someone against it. Right. And in this case, We haven't heard of any financial qualifiers. These would simply be accounts that are available to every student, regardless of their financial situation, Wow! because every family, every property owner pays taxes, so every student would then have this X amount of money that they could use, and it wouldn't be needs-based. Some of our scholarship programs now are based upon need, and there are some qualifiers, but this would not be that way. This would mean every student in Florida has this opportunity. It's a powerful opportunity for parents, a really significant way.
1: And in a way, too, it breaks the monopoly of public school systems, and, you know, and now they have to compete for students that they can't just assume that they're all going to take in these public school students and have the resources in order to run their, their system.
4: That's exactly right. They would have to compete. And, and every now and then you'll hear people say, and I'm sure this will come up in the, in the debate and in the uh, opposition, that, we can't take money away from the schools. We'll hurt schools and all of that. And, and my response to that is our public schools have, by their own admission, great facilities. They have well-equipped faculty. They have experts on their staff. They have all the, all the pluses that you could expect to have to start up. And they ought to be said, school choice is not a problem for us because we're going to be the best school in your neighborhood, hands down. Well, unfortunately, the education establishment, in some respects, doesn't usually say that. But we think they should say that, and we think they should compete with everybody else, and we think we should allow other opportunities to compete with them. We'll all get better, and the whole point is to have a better education for our students, not to protect certain systems or certain status quo ways of doing things. Let's do the best we can for our students and their families.
1: I think so well said, Pastor Rick, and it... uh, I'm sure the unions are going to have something to say about this.
4: I would expect so. And I understand they get a little defensive and nervous about their constituency, but again, they ought to be saying we have the best teachers in the world. Nobody can compete with us. And we're going to show you that. So we're not threatened by this at all, but they don't say that.
1: No, of course not. Pastor Rick, I I know you've got a big uh, event coming up in March. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, we really do. It's, getting more exciting in fact some things happened i i just learned about yesterday that that we want every event that we do every year like this to be better but i'm thinking as i hear some of the plans that people are working on this is just going to be the best one and and we're so pleased to have speaker newt gingrich come and be our our keynote speaker he um as everybody knows was very very significant in the history of our country and, and he really rec- recognizes the need for all of us to be good citizens, and that's, of course, what we work on as the Florida Citizens Alliance. So we want everybody to join us March 8th. That's just two months away now, really. It's coming up quick at the um, Ritz-Carlton Golf Resort. We're going to have a great event there. The Speaker's going to be there. And with all of the things that have been unfolding in Washington lately, and Speaker Gingrich has been involved in that, we are kind of keen to hear what he will tell us about what's happening and what we might not realize because it's either not reported or, or the press doesn't recognize it. These, these guys, when they come into these events, they always have things to say that you never hear anyplace else, and it's just remarkable. So I, I want people to go to our website, goflca.com or goflca.org, and you'll find the events tab, lots of information there. Buy a ticket. We are perilously close on some of our ticket levels, and I don't say that just to get people to go buy it today. Although I'm sure would like them to. Yeah, I say that because it's true. All right, and and we are just really need people to join right away and be there on March 8th.
1: Well, it's a great way to support a great organization as well. Not only will you get good information, but again, the, the, uh, every farthing that goes through the till is watched very carefully by the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, Pastor Rick and uh, Keith Law, the co-founders, they don't get a nickel for uh, their contributions to the uh, to the organization and the work that they do in Tallahassee. So support the organization. It's really terrific. GoFLCA.com. Get tickets for the event coming up in March. Uh Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks, Bob. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank you.
1: You, you as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, <clears throat> we're going to be visiting uh, with uh, uh, Michael Cannon, the Director of Health Policy Studies that, at the Cato Institute, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and building a beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Michael Cannon, dire- Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. The Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We are neither
5: Republican nor Democrat, neither conservative nor left of center. Uh, What we do is we advocate individual liberty in all areas of human endeavor. And basically what that means is we want you to be able to live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others and the government exists, to protect those rights and shouldn't do anything beyond doing that because when it does, it it ends up violating your rights and leaving us worse off as a society.
1: Well, we see a lot of that. (laughs) Now they want to eliminate gas stoves. I just can't believe (laughs) how much they meddle in our private lives. And I'm talking about the government now. So uh, I understand that you... I hope you're ready to replace your gas stove. (laughs) Yes. Bunch of bozos. Unbelievable. So, uh, Michael... Uh, I understand you came out, uh, the Cato Institute's come out with a new book.
5: So uh, uh, thanks to my colleague, Scott Lincecombe, uh my co-author, uh, Jeff Singer, a uh, uh, senior fellow at Cato and a general surgeon in Arizona, and more than a dozen, dozen other of my colleagues, he produced and released a book called Empowering the New American Worker. And this is a terrific book because it talks about how to uh, – Help workers adapt to technological changes and changes in the workforce so that there will be more opportunities for workers, more and better jobs, as well as uh, uh, reforms that will help them get more for their earnings. And we talk about both of those things, my colleague Jess Singer and I do, in the chapter in that book on healthcare.
1: So uh, tell us uh, we- can you give us a sneak peek on some of the information?
5: Sure. So in terms of expanding opportunities for workers, what we advocate is getting government out of the business of deciding what kinds of medical professions there can be and what the educational and training and certification requirements are for those occupations. Because right now, and for 100 years, the government has been deciding what kind of opportunities will be available for people. And what that has done is it has left workers with fewer opportunities and left consumers with less access to medical care. Uh, take the example of dental care. Everyone knows you go to the dentist, the hygienist cleans your teeth, and the dentist comes in and does a check, and if everything's okay, then, that, then you get to leave. But uh, it, it, that's a pretty expensive way to do things because a lot of times you don't need a dentist. Uh, to come in and do that check after the hygienist. Or uh, or to perform, even if you need something like an extraction or a filling, you don't need to have a dentist do that. You don't need to pay denti- very expensive dentist prices. There are clinicians, uh, a, di- a different medical profession called a dental therapist. These folks have more training than uh, than a hygienist so that they can do extractions and fillings, but they also have less training than a dentist, and so they cost a lot less. And we could be expanding dental care to to millions of, of, of low-income Americans. We could be expanding job opportunities for uh, for thousands upon thousands of Americans. But most states won't even let dental therapists practice. They don't even recognize that this is a medical profession, and that is one of the things that happens when you put the government in the position of deciding what medical professions can exist and what all the education and training requirements are going to be.
1: You know, I I had no idea about this at all. I wasn't aware that there was a dental, uh, did you call them therapists, I think? Uh, That's correct. uh, The the point being is I didn't even realize that that was a profession that existed. And uh, so there must be a strong dental lobby across the states. Because
5: Florida, for all of its strengths, does not recognize dental therapists. Wow. Uh, I believe it is one of the states that does not and most states don't. And and this is part of the part of the problem is when you put the government in that position what you get is stasis. You don't get innovation in uh, the creation of uh, new medical professions at lower cost uh, as a lower cost way of uh, providing care to people, and so it seemed odd that someone would come up with this new uh, with this new category of dental professional. Would really we sh- should be accustomed to that sort of. That sort of innovation and that sort of progress.
1: Think of the money you could save for consumers too. Most people don't have dental insurance, so it would be great, great to have the alternative. Maybe you prefer to go see a dentist office all the time. You've got that relationship, but wouldn't it be nice to have the alternative? You know, one of one of the stories that broke today is the fact that people are suing um, uh, healthcare companies uh, and employers uh, because uh, they were required to wear masks. They had a, wanted a religious exemption and they ended up leaving the company or being fired. It would cost them a lot of money. You got anything in your book about having uh, employers stay in their own lane and quit meddling in people's medical past or, or future?
5: You know, that is the other part of our chapter on health care, is that we can give workers, uh, we can make workers' health care dollars go further if we just let them control those health care dollars. Yeah. Right now, the tax code penalizes you. The federal tax code, and if your state has an income tax, yours is not, uh, it's the government penalizes you unless you let your employer control a huge chunk of your earnings, and choose your health plan, and revoke that health plan when you when you leave that job. And this does not this denies workers uh, their health care rights. Your most important health care right is the right to make your own health decisions. Here, the government, for again a hundred years, has been penalizing workers if they want to make their own health decisions. And what ends up happening is we get worse health decisions because employers don't know what you need uh, like you know your own needs. right? And you're not as careful with the money you're spending if you don't control it. If it's your employer that's writing the checks, then you want more and more and more uh, because you're not seeing the cost uh, the way you would if you got to control that money yourself. And we're not talking about jump change here. Uh, Bob, we're talking about $16,000 on average for workers who have a family plan through their employer. They should get to control that money. That's what we advocate. And if Congress did that, let workers control that money, it would be an effective tax cut larger than the Reagan tax cuts of 1981.
1: $1 trillion would move from the
5: control of employers to the workers who earned it and have a right to control
1: that money. I don't know if you, yesterday the, the GOP caucus proposed uh, a flat tax, a consumer tax, and abolishing the IRS, which I think is just a great idea. So they're kind of, uh, kind of related, but unrelated as well, uh, the whole notion of uh, getting rid of the IRS. In any event, tell us about, what's the name of the book and how can we get a copy?
5: Empowering the New American Worker, you can get a copy of it at the Cato website, which is cato.org, or at Amazon.
1: Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Take care, Bob. Thank you as well. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more. And download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He's the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government.
3: Yeah, we exist in a The size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and D.C.
1: does not. No, it doesn't. But, you know, you moved to Belize, bought a lot. Yes. And you told me, this is just unbelievable to me, that you pay $10 a year in property taxes, <laughs> and, and you own an oceanfront lot, which is just incredible. How the heck do they raise money down there?
4: Well, they, well...
3: The pro- well, uh, my name. One of my Canadian neighbors just pointed out. Of course, you pay an eight percent stamp tax when you buy the property. Uh-huh. So you kind of up- you kind of front loading your taxes to a degree. But for example, I bought a lot. My taxes aren't affected by what the house I build on the lot.
1: Uh-huh.
3: It's still twenty bucks a year, believes, which is ten dollars U.S. It's it's pegged. It's two to one. And it's pegged. Uh-huh. So wherever the dollar goes it's two Belize dollars that's just how it goes um and the computers are all wired down here if you use a u.s credit card they automatically have your check when you go to a restaurant or whatever um so anyway my my uncle i told him my property tax he said well how does the government do anything i said that's the point they don't (laughs) (laughs) they don't do they don't do anything i mean There's police up and down the peninsula, and you know if you, everybody sent me these articles when I started talking about moving here, about the crime rate in Belize. Yeah, it's all in Belize City. Yeah, which is three hours north of me. It's where, unfortunately, it's where the cruise ships come in, so the cruise um, people get robbed occasionally. But I'm, you know, it's it's like Maryland. I lived in Maryland. Yeah, Baltimore City is insane. Right. Um, I think uh, Spike Lee calls it body more, uh, so he calls it body more something. I forget what it's called, what he calls it. But my county voted 74%, 76% Republican. <laughs> so there were no murders taking place in my part of Maryland. Yeah. Likewise, the peninsula where I'm living is, is beautifully, you know, there's not, you know, I leave my doors open all the time. I, you know, I haven't had my air conditioning on in weeks. Wow! Um, I have all the doors and windows open, and I leave the house, and I come back, and everything's still there, and yeah, it's 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 very nice. And and there's cops, there's cops on the peninsula, and you, I'm sure you can use them for something. I'm not sure what yet.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what about the price of commodities like food?
3: Oh, much much cheaper. I get there's a guy, there's a farmer or a, a a livestock guy. In San Ignacio, which is way all you know on the other side of the country it's near the Guatemala border, every Thursday they deliver basically any meat or egg or cheese you want i uh, last week I got a, thirty eggs, a pound of bacon a pound of of sliced roast beef, and a pound of sliced cheese and it was thirty eight bucks u s oh. <laughs> delivered to my house
1: Wow, yeah, it sounds like paradise eating.
3: Well, there are some things. There's a 40% tax on gas. Gas is twice what it is in the U.S. Gasoline for cars is twice. Um, What else is But my guess is, though... Anything that comes from the U.S. costs about as much as it does... You know, if you get a bag of Doritos, it costs as much as it does in the U.S. But if you're buying local, it's much, 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 much cheaper. I got... I went to a little stand in the village, Placencia Village, I got stewed chicken with rice, split pea gravy, and mashed potatoes, and it was $5 U.S., and it was unbelievably good.
1: <laughs> wow. So now I would imagine, yeah. though, that the uh, travel requirements are reducing. You, you pay 40% tax on, on gasoline, but you probably don't travel as much, do you?
3: I'm on a little peninsula. Um, most of my driving is recreational. You do drive, like the groceries, they have these little markets, and they call them the Chinese markets because... For whatever reason, everybody that owns them is chinese um and it's literally i'm in a, you know off the main road uh, it's it's a, a mile up the main road from, yeah. from my my house um you know it's it's and i drive I drive for recreation I have a monster Miata and it's beautiful weather down here, so my dog and I get in the car and drive that's the vast majority of the understood
1: gasoline. that's so interesting seton well hope it all life works out for you down there I'm, you've I've got a great uh organization less government and uh, it's, it's just so
3: established inter- in texas yes
1: <laughs> so interesting so uh before i let you go i do want to talk about a piece that you wrote about the gop house is not a green light for a hyperactive biden bureaucracy maybe you can tell us about it
3: well i'm getting flashbacks to after the tw- i didn't put this in the piece and i meant to you know this is the thing you think of it starts the idea of the piece and then by the time you write the piece you forget to put the original germ of an idea into yeah. the piece uh, after the 2010 Tea Party election, remember Obama said, I have a phone and I have a pen and I don't need I don't need Congress for anything. Yep. Well, I'm just trying to remind everybody that, OK, the Republicans took over the House. That doesn't mean the bureaucracy can go into overdrive and just start doing things it's not empowered to do. There's there's two questions that need to be asked in D.C. that are never asked. If you're a bureaucrat, one, did Congress pass a law expressly telling you to do that? And then for Congress, two, does the Constitution expressly empower the federal government to do that? Yeah. So, for example, net neutrality. It's never been the, the, the concept, the phrase, whatever, has never, ever been in legislation, ever. Right. Right which means the Federal Communications Commission can't impose it because it's never been in legislation telling the FCC to impose it. Right. That, doesn't, that hasn't stopped them from imposing it, I think, already three times before having them overturned by the courts or overturned by the, you know, the Trump FCC in, in respective cases. Um, and, of course, the other question would be, does the federal government have the power from the Constitution to do this, for Congress to write a law? There was a recent Supreme Court, two recent Supreme Court decisions uh, last year that really reined in the bureaucracies. It basically re- it asked my question. It, it said, you know, you have to have preceding legislation prior to imposing anything.
1: Right. And
3: it was, they were dealing specifically with a case with the EPA, the Environmental right. Protection Agency. But it was they didn't, you know, oftentimes they limit it to that, that particular case. They went really broad and said... You know, any agency, you can't do something until Congress tells you to do something.
1: Isn't that refreshing? And so
3: we're hopeful We're hopeful that that, you know, that idea spreads uh, with this administration. I'm dubious.
1: I am as well. At, before I let you go, uh, you know, right now we're seeing this revelation of uh, 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 classified documents showing up in different places. <laughs> so is it? Do you think, I mean, I wonder, Jason, makes me wonder if the, the, the uh, bureaucrats have decided, well, Joe Biden's got to go, we'll throw him under the bus. <laughs> yes, yes.
3: Yeah, you're exactly right. This is, because they knew about this before the election, so they waited till after the election to, 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 ma- to minimize the damage to uh, off-year, you know, lower-ticket Democrats. Right. But now they're like, okay, we don't want this guy running again, so you're going to see a lot of stuff like this, and not just about documents you know uh, classified documents it's going to be everything all of a sudden they're going to notice that he's completely mentally addled that'll that'll be (laughs) that'll be one of the things that all oh wow he's he's having trouble with his words um he never stuttered in 82 years now all of a sudden he's a stutterer yeah um but but no he's yeah that's you're exactly right and of course the the key component in that document comparison is the president, by the Constitution, can de- declassify anything he wants any way he wants. So by by grabbing the documents and taking them to Mar-a-Lago, poof, they're they're declassified. Right. The vice president doesn't have that authority or that power. What he did was illegal. What Trump did
1: was not. So the consequence? Special? Uh, uh...
3: Oh, none. This is, yeah. this is a consequence-free zone for Democrats. Yeah. No, you, you don't. You know, I said this 20 years ago, being liberal means never having to say you're sorry.
1: Exactly. Seton Motley, and the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you visit the website lessgovernment.org. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's
1: your host, Bob Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics, they know the policy, and they prepare your elected officials to win. You can find out more by visiting the website vfga.org Thefga.org. We have with us a former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Bill, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Well, Bob, thank you for uh, having me on this brisk, beautiful Thursday uh, morning down winter morning in Naples, Florida. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, I think the weather's uh, chilly now, but it's going to get rainy and cold uh, this weekend.
2: Yeah, that's what they said. Uh, I guess there's a there's a front coming through. Um, we could use a little rain. Um, things are pretty dry, but. Um, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Hey, good football weekend.
1: Yes, indeed, and uh, congratulations. I know you're a Buffalo Bills fan. A big victory last week, but my goodness, that poor young man, Damar. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was just a tragic situation, and it's a miracle that he survived.
2: Well, it was, you know, and sometimes you just, you know, you never know those pre, you know, pre-existing what's going on in your body, and uh, just that just happened to to, to trigger it or to do whatever the doctors are still kind of trying to figure out from what I understand, um, of what exactly that was, but he's, he's doing well. And, uh, you know, it, it, it shows Bob, um, not just him, but just that particular incident, uh, just kind of everybody. And I mean, across the country and people from different teams and team, I mean, everybody got together and, um, I thought it was really, uh, really touching about he, uh, you know, he had started a little fund. He was trying to raise $2,500 for gifts for kids. Yeah. And at and the, the last count, it was over $8 million.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and the more I found out about this young man, the more impressed I, I became. He's just really an exceptional, fine person and very committed to... Uh, uh, his sport. It's just a. It's a really great story, and uh, now this weekend, I guess Buffalo's playing uh, uh, Miami.
2: Yep, they're playing Miami at Buffalo, and um, don't I don't think the weather will be too bad up there, other than cold. Um, but that should be a, that should be a good game. And there's a pretty good from what you said before. and I forgot about that. That there's a front coming through. It's supposed to be rainy and cold. It might be a good sitting in the house football weekend
1: yeah it sounds like it bill well so I, I'm sure you're pulling for Buffalo. Uh, oh for
2: sure yeah for sure yeah we'd like to see them do it but uh, they have there's some tough competition out there I'll tell you what I'm, I'm I I', I mean, San Francisco's another one and uh, Kansas City I mean there's there's some there's some, there's, they're going to have a, you know, when you get down to it, Bob, they'll, there should be some wonderful games, yeah. but, uh, anyway. Well, they're the number so, one,
1: they're not the number one seed, aren't they, in the, uh...
2: No, well, the, um, Kansas City got the number one seed because of that, um, uh, uh, you know, because of the, the debacle there with, um, with the injury to, to, uh, DeMar, um, and, uh, so Kansas City is the number one seed, Buffalo is the number two seed, and uh, Cincinnati was the number three seed in that um, uh, in that Eastern um, division. And um, so the thing is, they said that if, if Buffalo makes it to the AFC playoff game, um, it would be, and it would be against Kansas City, they would play at a neutral site. Huh. So, um, oh, that's that's fair. That's good. Yeah, that, that did that did make it fair. So, so I wanted to let you know that um, last night we had a, a wonderful event for the Shelter for Abused Women and Children at Derona, um, and uh, we had Ben Allen, the wonderful singer, uh, uh, appear with me as a guest star tender, and uh, we raised, I think we raised a lot of money. It was a very fun event, and I want to thank Derona for letting us do that. Um, but we had a lot of people there, yeah. and uh, you know, it's just kind of nice to see. No matter what the event is, Bob, you, you know it better than I do. People show up. Um, people like our charity events in Naples, Florida, and they support them. It's just something that's a feel good, makes you feel good.
1: Well that you know one one of the qualities of Naples it's uh, among the healthiest places in the world and the happiest places in the world and no kidding i mean surveys have demonstrated this but i think a, a lot of it has to do with the giving nature of the people who live here and uh, when it comes to supporting charities and supporting causes Naples florida just doesn't it. It can't be matched
2: no i i i agree with you and you know what it's always been like that bob even even from the beginning when we were when we were fledgling um and we had the you know the YMCA was just starting up, and the American Cancer Society had one volunteer, and 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 as they all these charities grew, um, and and new charities came in, and new groups came. It, it always it. It seemed to be always like that. There was never one you heard about, oh, that one's a bust or whatever. Right. There were always people willing to donate.
1: It's amazing indeed. It is hard work, I must say. I was the uh, board chairman at Gulfshore Shore Playhouse for 15 years. Can't, oh,
2: you sure were.
1: Well, and uh, you know, building that beautiful performing arts center in downtown Naples now, it's really taking shape, and uh, it's, it's just a really an amazing thing.
2: Well, it is, and you know, kudos to you also. You don't ever say much about it, but boy, you—that was a—that uh, was a hell of a job you did. I, I mean it. Um, all those years, and there were—and you know what? With that, Bob, um, I know you, you. We need to get off the air here, but with all that, the people that you had to deal with—they were all CEOs. You know, yeah. there there were uh, a lot of chiefs there. Uh, they were all CFOs and CEOs, and uh, it's very, very difficult to have everybody come together. But you just did one terrific job. You're just so well liked and respected, and uh, something we don't get a chance to say much. But yeah, and boy, the new, the new Gulf Shore Playhouse is just going to be phenomenal. Wow, I, I can't wait.
1: Well, thank you for those sentiments and thoughts, uh, Bill. I really appreciate it. Uh, before I let you go, any good scoop in the city?
2: city's pretty quiet, but, uh, I guess they're, uh, the, their, their first meeting is going to be on the 18th of, uh, January. And, uh, we'll find out all about their vacations and where they went <laughs> to skiing and whatever. Uh, but, uh, it's pretty quiet. I know that the staff has been working, um, on projects, which kind of gives them a break anyway, you know? Um, uh, so I, my understanding is it's been relatively quiet, but they're working hard on still cleaning up hurricane stuff. And, uh, fixing, trying to fix beach ends, et cetera. So um, we want to try and uh, get it done. And I know they they talked about the pier. Um, That's going to be a good couple of years out before we see a new pier, but it's going to be beautiful.
1: Absolutely. Bill Barnett, again, former mayor of Naples. I genuinely appreciate not only your friendship, but your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks, Bob, and have a good one. If you're (laughs) out on a golf course, dress warm. (laughs) Thanks.
1: Thank you, Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I do want to remind you that uh, Wednesday through uh, uh, Saturday nights, four to eight PM at Lullaby's Diner, they're serving some great seafood items. Uh, uh, Richie is the chef there, and he just does a great job. So, if you'd like an informal dinner, uh, consider Lullaby's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Hope you tune in tomorrow. We're going to visit with William Yateman, research fellow. Uh, I should say a uh, senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation, our clerk, of courts, Crystal Kinzel, will be with us. Mark Moyer wrote an interesting book about Vietnam. He'll be with us as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Always appreciate your comments here on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends about it. It certainly supports our sponsors